Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family as we continue our studies in the role of the Christian family in the modern world, that timeless apostolic exhortation by St. John Paul II. And today we're talking about one of my favorite topics within the role of Christian family in the modern world, namely we're going to talk about fathers and fatherhood. And if you turn to section 25, if you happen to be a dad, if you're driving, don't turn there right now, but you can get the role of the Christian family in the modern world online. And 25 is a great section for fathers. And I'd like to begin with that paragraph in section 25. Above all, where social and cultural conditions so easily encourage a father to be less concerned with his family, or at any rate, less involved in the work of education, efforts must be made to restore socially the conviction that the place and task of the father in and for the family is of unique and irreplaceable importance. Man, there's so much packed in here. And just so you know, I've spent the last 30 years of my life engaged in the effort described in section 25 of the role of the Christian family in the modern world. And what I'd like to do now is to merge two of my favorite passages in this apostolic exhortation, 75 and 25. From 75, and, and I've gotten away from this, but I used to close off every radio show for years from section 75, which says, the future of the world and of the church passes through the family. In other words, if you want to peek at the future, you look at the family. The family is critical for the future of our world, our culture, our nation, and our church. But what I'd like to do is merge section 25 with what I just read in section 75. And this is my modified section 25. So let me start again with 75, the future of the world and of the church, passes through the family. Now my modified 25, and the future of the family depends on the unique and irreplaceable importance of fathers. You see, the family will in significant manner be determined by fathers, whether or not they're engaged as St. John Paul II mentioned. And it's a momentous challenge in our day to do that work of restoration of fatherhood that basically John Paul II is calling all of us to try to help with. And I am going to start by mentioning a major challenge to restoring Catholic fatherhood. As I say, I've got 30, 30 years in this effort, and I can tell you one of the significant challenges it's very difficult to get young dads, particularly, to respond to anything regarding the faith. And I can tell you one of the chief hindrances is that in 
the modern world here in the United States, so much of Christianity has been either consciously or unconsciously feminized from the design of a website to the interior decoration of a sanctuary to the programs within uh, a seminary, the programs within a conference. Uh, there's a coloring that is highly feminized. Now, I'm not against women because listen to me saying this is very important. The best thing you can do for a Catholic wife and mother is help this work of restoration of Catholic fathers. There is absolutely nothing better, that, at least in my knowledge, you can do for a Catholic wife than to encourage her husband to be following the footsteps of St. Joseph. This is tops. And for young women looking for a Catholic husband, ditto, you want a young man following the foots of St. Joseph. But what has happened if you look, trace the history in the United States, at the founding of our country, if you would look for articles on family life, very often they were written by men to fathers. It was regarded as something of a father's job, the family. And yet you fast forward to today and you have magazines for family life, secular ones and religious ones. And you can tell real quick by the article titles, by the pictures in the ads and, and, and such, they're designed for women. And it's like it's maybe a token something for fathers around June, but basically family has become a female category in the United States. And that's a massive switch from the days of the founding of our country. And that switch occurred since Protestantism has had such a predominant influence in our country. There were two spiritual awakenings in the United States, and the second great awakening was different from the first. It occurred in the mid-1800s, and it was very much more of a, an emotional appeal, the anxious bench, which was the precursor for what Protestants do today for the altar call. Uh, it was a highly emotional pitch, and it had great success with women, but not quite so much so for men. And as a result, you started to see shifts in the clergy and the composition of congregations. You find more and more men who are skilled in reaching women becoming pastors instead of men who could reach other men. And that's so necessary. Now, one of the things a man is going to want to look to in a pastor or a priest, a religious leader of any kind, is courage. I know uh, one of my daughters went to a Jordan Peterson conference with one of my sons-in-law, and uh, she was amazed. She said it was a sea of young men. And I've been interested in Jordan Peterson, not that I'm a Jordan Peterite, I'm not, but there is a phenomenon in him reaching young men, and one of the things that launched his public career, so to speak, he stood up 
to the nation of Canada through its requirements of using controlled speech regarding the transgender issue and everything else. He didn't have a, a beef, so to speak, with the transgender community. He had a beef with a government telling you how to think and what to say. So he stood up to him, and lo and behold, young men are flocking to hear him. And that reminds me of the Bible story. It's not the Bible story. I should call it the Bible account. It's a historical account of David and Goliath. It's in 1 Samuel 17. And most of us heard this as children, as Bible stories, and so it kind of colors our minds exactly what was going on. In our mind, David was this young, timid shepherd, but God can use young, timid shepherds to be his leaders, and that kind of goes along with an overall image of leaders maybe lacking in the kind of courage a a man would like to see. Well, here's what you didn't hear in Sunday School or CCD or your child's story Bible. Right before David goes off to fight Goliath in 1 Samuel 17 and verse 34, David says to Saul, the king Saul, your servant used to keep flock for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. Okay, here's the guy. He had a shepherd's staff, and if a lion or a bear take off with a lamb in his mouth, he'd go after it and get it out of his mouth. No gun, no 45s, no 308 calibers. And then he goes, and if the lion or bear arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and killed him. And then David says, your servant has killed both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, seeing that he has defied the armies of the living God. See, David was Jordan Peterson, you know, with nuclear power, so to speak. I mean, wouldn't that be an interesting seminary uh, prereq? You have to be able, a slaughtered a uh, lion or bear who is attacking, uh, attacking a livestock animal and only have like a baseball bat to accomplish this. And I'm being a little facetious, but you get my point. This is what attracts men, men who will stand up for life, men who will stand up for truth, men who will stand up for the historic Catholic faith. They earn the respect of men. I've even seen in Catholic men's conferences where I've said something that I know most young men have never heard said publicly. And I remember one, I got a standing ovation. I thought they were going to throw tomatoes at me. But, and I, I, I know a lot of them weren't living in accordance with the truth of the Catholic faith I was proclaiming. And yet they had regard for somebody willing to simply speak the truth. So we need to get beyond the idea of the family as a mother's topic. Now, the family is a mother's and a father's topic, and we need leadership that can inspire men to follow. And I need to say this, and I'd rather not even mention it, but I do need to say it. We need to know what's up 
because we are called to the restoration of fatherhood, and despite having some difficulties in our culture for doing that, we don't quit. We keep going. But the recent scandals of the priest-boy scandals and almost as bad as the many bishops covering up these scandals is an absolute abomination to men. And you need to be very careful because I realize there are some religious leaders in the Catholic Church who may have a uh, sincere, good-hearted effort to kind of accommodate the Catholic Church to our culture, which is increasingly embracing homosexuality. Now, if you do that, I'll tell you what the result will be. Many wives will be sitting in Mass by themselves on Sunday morning. Many young Catholic women will be wondering, where can I find a committed Catholic man? This will, this will drive men away from the church. And I've mentioned this before, but it's worth mentioning. It's an illustration to know exactly what happens. I'm personally fascinated with the Civil War. And one of the things that's so tragic about the Civil War and the stories surrounding it is that why did men march into the face of cannons? In other words, the technology of cannons blasting rows of infantry coming at them, uh, you know, <laughs> they haven't developed how, how to deal with that. And the question is often asked, why did these men knowingly march to their death. And part of the reason, a big part of the reason they did that is that these men were marching with other men from their communities. And if they turned in battle, cowardice, then they couldn't go back to their homes, their hometowns, as a man. And so they preferred death to having the cultural stigma of not really being a man, having the courage of a man. And when the homosexual emphasis is pushed in the Catholic Church, it will drive men away, it will hurt families, it will hurt wives, it will hurt young women, and we need to be very careful about that. All right, back to section 25. It says, as experience teaches, the absence of a father causes psychological and moral imbalance and notable difficulties in family relationships. I just encountered a, a fairly new book entitled End Game, and it's a book on restoring and strengthening family life, particularly marriages and especially fatherhood. And that book in chapter six has a list of things they called the staggering fallout from fatherless homes. And 90% of homeless and runaway children come from fatherless homes. 71% of pregnant teens come from fatherless homes. 63% of youth suicides arise from fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts arise from fatherless homes. 85% of youth in prison come from fatherless homes. And it's not just youth. There is a landmark study 
that was conducted by Judith Wallerstein. And the title of her book summarizing these 25 years of personal interviews with the children of divorce until they reached early adulthood. And the title of the book is The Unexpected Legacy of Divorce. And at the time, at least this book was published a few years ago, it was the only study in the world that followed children of divorce into adulthood. And it was commonly thought that divorce was indeed a crisis for children, but they eventually got over it. It's not a long-term crisis, and what this book shows, it in fact is. And especially for young women, but men too, when it came time to choose a marriage partner or start a family, have kids, the effects of that parental divorce ricocheted right down through the years, made them have great anxiety about even entering a marital relationship, major trust problems, and then if they did get married, and all marriages have problems, by the way, all marriages, Protestant, Catholic, secular, all marriages have problems, but when these young people who had come from a home in which experienced a childhood divorce were now adults and in a marriage, as soon as the problems started arising, they thought, oh, time to give up. This, this is going to fail. And again, the anxiety is, is just overwhelming. And then there's Stephen Nock, the sociologist from the University of Virginia. He has written a document called The $100 Billion Man. And he tabulated the different departments within the federal government making up uh, for fathers in homes. In other words, the cost of direct services for fatherlessness. And there was a lot of things on the state level and in individual families that he didn't basically compute the economic cost because it's kind of hard to track actually, but at least on the federal level, annually, the federal government spends $99.8 billion a year to make up for fatherless homes. That's just a, a bit shy of $100 billion a year. And then there's Mary Eberstadt, who wrote a very intriguing book entitled how the West Really Lost God. And the usual understanding is the reason you're having family problems today is that it first started with a decline of religion in our culture, and everybody agrees there's a decline of religion in our culture, and that basically led to a decline in the health of family life. Well, she flipped that conventional wisdom and in a very scholarly way, demonstrated that the decline in family health is the primary cause of erosion of religious faith and vitality. And she asked question, why have we lost the cultural wars? Well, it's a decline in religion. Where did that come from? Family. The family. And actually, her book is right in line with St. John Paul II, 
Section 75, the role of the Christian family in the modern world. The future of the world and of the church passes through the family. And we have kind of reversed that in our minds and our common understanding. And she says, as goes the family, so goes the churches, because the family is the absolute incubator of faith. And you have to keep the marriage together to make that work. And yet, recently, I think it's that book Endgame pointed out, 85% of churches in America don't spend one penny, not one penny, on marriage programs that will help keep fathers in the home. So you not only need premarital counseling, there's a huge need for marriage enrichment. And basically, uh, as you go, you don't fill up your car with gas when you first buy it. You fill it up regularly, and that's the idea. You want enrichment as you go. But here's something that uh, is really worth remembering. It comes from that book, The End Game. I think you've probably heard of the phenomena, and it's very serious. You know, you're talking about the outcome of federal elections and all that other type of thing and our cultural decline. And a lot of people are tracing it back to the phenomena of religious nuns. And I don't mean N-U-N-S. I'm talking about N-O-N-E-S. When asked what religious involvement do you have, their response is none. And there's a whole massive tribe of nuns arising in our culture. And this is from page 93 of that book, Endgame. Quote, millennials from continuously married homes are nearly twice as likely to attend church compared to their counterparts from divorced, never married, or widowed homes. And widowed homes are now a very minor uh, degree of fatherless homes. So what do you do about this? Uh, One, and I've mentioned this, I don't think it's gotten too far, but you just can do what you do. Uh, There are two types of outreach you can do to Catholic men today. What I did for the bulk of the past 30 years was uh, a fatherhood movement, focusing particularly on fathers with children in the home. Now, I realize in the Catholic Church, has a very good-hearted inspiration, so to speak, to reach everybody. But sometimes when you reach everybody, uh, you don't really reach the ones you need to reach most. And the fatherhood movement I've seen has morphed into a contemporary men's movement. And the result is there's maybe anywhere from a 20 to 35-year jump in age of the predominant group attending. Rather than younger dads with children in the home, they're probably the largest demographic group at a Catholic men's conference today are grandfathers with children not in the home. And so I think there needs to be a resurrection of fatherhood conferences and fatherhood movement. And just as a baby step, I was just invited to a Catholic men's conference, and I, when I agreed, I said, I really would appreciate that in any conference promotions would encourage younger dads to attend. Good point. 
Second, I promise that in my talk, I'll give something for men of all ages, but please let younger dads know that I'm going to conclude some practical tips for dads with children in the home. And the conference organizers were very pleased to do that, and they said, we'll try to promote that. That's just a baby step, but trying to incorporate consciously targeting because this is exactly where St. John Paul II is moving us. And then we come to a sentence in section 25, which in my view, and I've read a lot on Christian fatherhood, Catholic and Protestant, it's the greatest fatherhood challenge I've ever heard. And it's this, in revealing and reliving on earth the very fatherhood of God, a man is called upon to ensure the harmonious and united development of all the members of the family. I've told dads in conferences that if you have little ones in the home, it's like having CBS and ABC, NBC, CNN, and Fox cameras running every waking hour, because your children are taking pictures of God the Father, Dad. He's put you on earth and in your family, and this is a striking responsibility. It doesn't mean you have to be perfect, because no earthly dad is perfect, starting with me. Our Heavenly Father is, and yet in His grace, He has children taking images of what a godly, heavenly father is like by looking at their earthly fathers. And this is a huge responsibility, and it's inescapable. You say, like, I don't want anything to do with this. I'm sorry. If you have kids, it's going on. And that's why if you concentrate on a fatherhood movement rather than just a, quote, generic men's movement, one of the things I saw was that men who hadn't been to confession in five 10 or 15 years, went to confession, went home in a state of grace. Men who were basically checked out of their faith had a conversion experience because they realized in order to be a dad, and they loved their kids, in order to be a dad, they had to reveal and relive on earth the very fatherhood of God. And for that, we need God's grace. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 371 of Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org to learn more about Catholic family life.